You are listening to Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is just recognizing strengths and areas of professional interest, which is important to becoming a leader and really finding your place. Um, So the first thing I want to say is that everyone has an opportunity to be a leader. A lot of people think of leadership as as just positions in a state or national level, but really any PA in their clinic has an opportunity to be a leader. Take charge of your your medical staff. Um, You know, you can lead conversations on on billing and coding, and there are lots of opportunities there where you can step in, improve yourself to be a leader in your clinic. Um, Also in the community, there are tons of outreach programs in your community. If there's a Miles from Melanoma program in your community, skin cancer screenings, also a good opportunity to get out there and establish yourself as a leader. Um, And that kind of goes along with patient advocacy groups as well. Um, There are always psoriasis walks, melanoma walks, various various things that these advocacy groups are doing that you can get involved in. And then, of course, there are leadership positions on the state and the national level as well. So one thing, I, a question that I've, I've got throughout the years is where do you start? And one thing to, to remember is that any of us that are in a leadership position doesn't necessarily mean that we're good at everything, and that's what makes a leadership team really great. So the best thing to do is to recognize what you're good at. What do you do really well? And what are the people beside you do really well? So I can say an example, Matthew and I have been working together for a couple of years, and we're very different, um, but it works well because we both have different strengths. So if you think about what your strengths are, there are so many areas that you can look at. Some people are really good at writing. Some people are great at speaking. Some people like just a small task. They don't necessarily want to be involved in a big project or have vision. Um, But if you're someone who can just complete small tasks, that's a strength as well. Some people are really creative or great at research. So all of those things can be useful in any leadership position. And, and this is the thing that, that I'd like to focus on the most, is just finding your passion. So a lot of us here, most people in leadership positions are, are very busy. We have families. We have things that we're doing outside of these positions. And we have full-time jobs, just like you do. Um, but re- what really makes this worthwhile is finding something that you're passionate about. And when you do that, it, it doesn't feel like work. It's really something that you begin to enjoy. And so I've listed here just some of the things within the SDPA Um, the areas that that some of our leaders are really passionate about and and where we find our place. Okay, great. So I'm going to move into discussing a little bit about identifying some opportunities. So these opportunities um, could be local um, or they they may be national. So we'll talk about some of those. And as as we talk about those, I'm going to share a little bit about uh, some of my personal experiences. So uh, the first place I would encourage you to do is look around your work. Uh, There's a lot of opportunity around your clinic, uh, and Jennifer kind of touched on that a little bit. So, for example, in my clinic, uh, really no one was interested in in tackling the PQRS issue. So I decided, okay, this is important to our practice, so I took it on myself to research and become an educated uh, provider about the PQRS process, and then looked at our EMR system and the tools that were already embedded into it and what we could use, and then I used uh, that data to educate the rest of the providers in the clinic about how we need to start implementing PQRS. So it was a great opportunity there, uh, and I think the docs in my practice really appreciated the fact that I took a little leadership there. Can I just say, well done. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) 
Um, but there are some other opportunities. So, you know, patient education handouts, sometimes you're using the same handout for years or you, uh, and they may need revision or you may uh, identify there's a need for a new patient education handout. So um, starting those and then passing them around among your colleagues and letting everyone kind of make some revisions, that's another opportunity. Um, and then sometimes in the clinic, people are, are hesitant to go to the docs about making contract changes. So I think uh, having, having the gumption to, to go to them and say, hey, this is a little bit of a problem with our, our contract. Can we make a little bit of an amendment here to make this a little more uh, fair or to make sure that this uh, um, additional benefit is included? Um, and then I think the other thing that uh, is really a low-hanging fruit is incident two billing. There's a lot of offices out there that are still not using incident two billing appropriately. Um, the AAPA's position is that really no office should be using incident two billing except in really rare circumstances that uh, it's really hard to meet the standard of incident two and really in dermatology it's, it's probably not appropriate. If you're coming to Vegas I'll be talking a little bit more about that. Then I encourage you to look around your community, um, whether, whether it's your place of worship. Um, I know as a, as a high school student and a college student, I was involved in campus ministries, and that was a great opportunity to do some things. But even as an adult, there's always uh, opportunities within your um, place of worship where you may need a volunteer in the children's room or, or some other areas. Uh, your neighborhood homeowners or, or condominium owners association or neighborhood watch may be looking for someone to help. Those are all opportunities. At a professional level, I think uh, there are local journal clubs. I know, for example, in Tampa, Scott Freeman uh, leads up a, a local journal club there, and it's a very uh, effective group. They get together every month and discuss uh, the latest issue of the JAD, and that's a great opportunity. Uh, state dermatology societies, whether you're a liaison or you want to organize a formal uh, state uh, chapter of the SDPA, uh, I got involved and roped in by Douglas D. Ruggiero. He had started the Georgia group, and after a couple years of doing it, he needed someone to take over. And all these many years later, I'm still involved in working with it, but uh, it's, it's you know, a labor of love, and I think there's a great opportunity there. And then uh, Jennifer mentioned also uh, local philanthropy and charitable organizations. So in Atlanta, we have a, a Miles for Melanoma race, and uh, you may have similar things or a psoriasis uh, walk. So there's lots of, of things that you can do in your community to get involved and be engaged. And then national, obviously, you know, you're here at the SDPA. We hope that you're members of the SDPA. Uh, many of you this week had the opportunity to attend some of our committee meetings. Um, and as Jennifer mentioned, everyone sort of has an interest or area of passion, maybe more than one. And so once you identify what your passions or strengths are, uh, finding a committee to get plugged in where those strengths can be used is a great way. Uh, we also have uh, articles that need to be written, blog posts that need to be written. So we have lots of opportunities for those of you who are interested in writing or writing on your area of interest. And then maybe after a period of time of serving as a committee member, you might be interested in serving as a committee chair. And many of our committee chairs eventually move on to run for uh, election in a national office, whether that's at SDPA or the AAPA. They're always looking for leaders in the PA community. So I encourage you guys to, to get involved. And before I start my presentation, I'd just like to second one thing that was mentioned by both of the previous two speakers, and that's find your own place, just like water finds its own level. Not everybody can do everything. Find what you 
one, are good at, and two, what you enjoy doing. Because if you don't enjoy it, it isn't a labor of love, and you won't put your whole heart into it. But if it's something you enjoy, I love speaking. That's why you see me everywhere. I don't say no, because I like doing it. So, you know, if you find something you like, and it's something you enjoy, that's what you're passionate and capable of, that's where you put your effort and you put, put your all. So I was asked just to talk about what are characteristics of leaders, and I put together this little talk. Leaders are exceptional individuals who are born with innate qualities and develop requisite skills. So even if you don't have a skill, you can learn a skill. Oh my God, I hated getting up in public speaking. Do you know surveys in the United States show more people fear public speaking than fear death? <laughs> it's the truth. But you learn, you can develop a skill. And so you may have something there that you just haven't let blossom. And anybody can be a leader. I think the previous two speakers also mentioned that, depending upon the circumstance and the situation and the task at hand. From everything from in your office all the way up to national or international. And in either case, leaders influence what others do by sharing their vision, working towards common goals, and confronting challenges. So I also find it rather amusing that the previous two speakers, all these talks were done independently, and both of them used quotations, and I choose to use quotations too. So we're like maybe in mental sync or something. But I'm going to show you some quotations from acknowledged leaders. Good guys and bad guys, but they were leaders. So Alexander the Great, you know, he conquered most of the known world at the time. Here's his quotation. There's nothing impossible to him who will try. You all recognize him. He's on our $5 bill. Abraham Lincoln, the best way to predict the future is to create it. And that seconds a lot of what Dr. Elston was talking about in his last talk. If things are done to us, we haven't created our own future. Whereas if we try and intervene now, we can shape that future. Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi said, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. So if there's something you're passionate about and you really would like to see change, there are other people who share your passion and share that desire. Find them, band with them, and try and affect that change. That's what our organizations do. But organizations are only as good as the members are and are willing to work towards change. Napoleon the First, eh, kind of a sleazy leader, but I mean, you know, he did end up in exile, but he did conquer a lot of the world at one time. And, you know, he was kind of cute. So he said, I love this one. Impossible is a word to be found only in the dictionary of fools. Never think something's impossible. Always dream high. You all know who he was, right? And what he said was, innovation distinguishes between a leader and a follower. We can't all be tremendously innovative, 
But you'd be surprised when you think about a problem long enough. Sometimes you can come up with a solution. And again, that doesn't have to be world-changing, but it can change just how you do things in the office that make life better for everybody in the office. That's micro-innovation, and it's every bit as important as developing the iPad or the iPhone in that realm because everybody can be a leader depending upon the task at hand or the circumstance. Joe Montana, one of the most successful quarterbacks of all times, he said, winners, I am convinced, imagine their dreams first. They want it with all their heart and expect it to come true. So dream about it and expect it to happen. But there's an old adage, sometimes adages are, eh, they are what they are, but you know, God will help those who help themselves. So yes, dream about it and work towards it. And if something's important to you, put your heart and soul in it. Some of you recognize him, one of the most successful basketball coaches ever. And I love this one. A coach must never forget that he is a leader, not merely a person with authority. So if you do get to be in a state or a local or a national position of leadership, the president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, CME committee, head of the committee on this or that or the next thing, it's not the authority that's important. It's the leadership that you exercise. One of the worst leaders ever. But he got a whole country to be mass hysteria crazy as loons. And he did have a couple of good quotes. Most of everything he said is pretty repulsive. But he said, only those who are passionate themselves can arouse passion in others. And that's true. Let your passion show. Whether it's for helping the homeless providing food for those who don't have it, organizing and making sure that there's a skin screening or melanoma Monday in your community. Whatever your passion is, let it show. So I just, this is obviously, we can't go through all this, but these are traits and skills of those who are leaders. And I didn't make these up. I found lists and then added them all together. And there are a lot of them, and I'm going to highlight two of them at the very end. But a lot of these things, that we have these traits, and we can develop these skills. Listening, for example, is a skill that you can get better at if you try. Just like we talked about understanding nonverbal communication is a skill that you can learn. So don't think that because you're not handy at something doesn't mean you can't be a leader. You can learn skills and those traits, tolerance, persistence, innovation, cooperation, all those, compassion, all those are within you. Most of those are within you because you're in healthcare and you're different than the person who's out there doing something else. These traits are inherent to people who go into serving others. 
Now, not all successful leaders possess all these skills and traits. You know, Hitler was a leader, but he missed a few things, like <laughs> compassion, cooperation, honesty, humility, diplomatic, tactful, he didn't listen, and he wasn't very socially skilled. So it just goes to show you can be a leader and make a major impact without having all of these skills and traits. But you have most of them and develop the good ones. I just want to highlight two, being adaptable. A good leader isn't always rigid in their approach to everything. You base your style upon the competency and motivation of the people you're working with. And you can be directive, you can participate, you can be supportive, you can be a leader and delegate everything and still be a leader. Or you can be right there in the thick of the fight, depending on who you're working with. So you have to be adaptable. And the other one I wanted to highlight is transformational, because leaders inspire others. They develop trust. They encourage creativity in the people they're working with. They encourage people they work with to grow along with them. So true leaders create other leaders. And they have the ability to have individuals they're working with to develop a uniform, a community sense of purpose that will benefit the community, the group, the organization, the society. And I think you'll find that is the most important thing, the ability to inspire others, encourage others, work with others in an adaptable manner. And the last slide I have is the difference between leaders and managers. The bottom two bullet points are the most important. A leader thinks the way they work, the way they function, what they do, the way they think is based on the assumption that work itself is motivating and people really want to do a good job and that it's the leader's role to guide and help and encourage. Whereas the manager works, thinks, operates based on the assumption that people think work is something to be avoided and it's the manager's job to make them work hard. The managers like rules and constant supervision and the threat of punishment, which is why I think some people in Washington are managers, not leaders. <laughs> so consider that, and I would urge you all to be leaders and not managers. I um, focused on things a little bit differently, you know, how, how you get things done. So first thing you have to figure out, what's your most productive part of the day? For, some, for me, it's early in the morning when it's quiet no one else has gotten up yet. For other people, it's late at night when everyone else has gone to bed. Some people peak at midday. Kind of figure when you're at your best, and then you prioritize what's got to be done today, what can wait till tomorrow, right? So is it important? Does it have to be done today? And what can be delegated? You don't have to do everything. There's usually a team there that wants to help. And the important thing is what can go to the end of the line? You know, you, you can't accomplish everything. So which things are the ones that really are key? This is the other thing. What is within your control? 
in terms of the changes of health care, it is within our control, guys. Um, if we let the, these days pass, it's because we let them pass. It's not because it's not within our control. Um, but there are some other things where you're really beating your head against a brick wall. So be, be realistic about those things. Um, have you guys ever worked with SWOT analyses, you know, strengths, weakness, opportunity, threats? Um, you, you fill it out, and it helps you think through some of these problems. And the other thing is like the old Nike ad, you know, the just do it. If it's important and you can accomplish it, do it. And, you know, the old serenity prayer, the, you know, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, the courage to change what I can, and always the wisdom to know the difference. And the last big message, and it took me years to learn this, be patient, because change comes in two ways, slowly or not at all. And sometimes slowly is okay. You just have to keep in there. That was it. I'd like to ask Dirk one question about uh -oh. making, no, it's, it's easy, <laughs> making priorities. Do you ever write lists? I never used to do that. And maybe it's just because I have more responsibility instead of less as I've gotten older. Or maybe it's just because I've gotten older. But I actually sit down and write a list what I need to do today. And then I rewrite the list in priority. Yeah. So if I cross a few things off, I feel good about it. And I get the priority things done. And the things I don't get done go on the next list. Do, do you ever do that? or am Yeah, I I'm, a, I'm a big list writer. And... The big thing is, I think it's growing up Lutheran, you've got this horrible fear that you'll let someone down and not, you know, not do something you were supposed to do. So, you know, I never want to not deliver on something I promised someone. So I make lists. What I don't do, you know, my friend Tammy Farringer, um, she will, if she does something that wasn't on her list, she'll write it down just so she can cross it off, you know, because there's so much satisfaction in that crossing it off the list. I haven't gotten to that point, but yeah, I'm a big list maker. I love lists. Me too. So one other thing I just wanted to say, um, something that I've learned, not only in my experience as a, being a leader in the PA profession, but also in my military experience, is some of the best leaders that I've come across and have influenced me the most are the people who aren't afraid to get their hands dirty. Um, so it's one thing to, to stand in front of people and direct, direct them and guide them, but it's another thing for them to see you doing the things that, that you expect them to do. So I think that's really important. Great point. Lead by example. I want to know if you can give me any guidance on the legalities of starting like a foot clinic for people who, whether they have insurance or not, just can't take care of their feet and what's legal and what's not legal for a volunteer to do. Um, we started, you know, within our practice at Geisinger, um, I think Fred Miller has saved more diabetic feet than any other human being alive. And as Fred was getting up there and we realized, you know, he's going strong, but at some point he's not going to be there. We set it together and it, it really required team-based care because you, um, you can't, usually the expertise isn't with one person and there's a lot of education. So you really need different kinds of providers involved in it. 
doing it as a volunteer thing, you know, it varies by state, but most states really give you broad protection um, for volunteer work. Um, and f for a lot of you, if you're part of an institution or a practice, their malpractice may actually cover you for, um, give you some coverage for volunteer work. So I'd check into your um, your own coverage. It's definitely a huge need out there, so I applaud you for trying to do it. Okay, thank you. that brings us to thank a conclusion. You. As the medical director, thank you for coming, thank you for staying, and we'll see you next year. This has been a presentation of Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs.